So this morning we're going to be in Luke 2, and um, for those of you who are wondering, we're not just redoing the Christmas story, so like don't think, hey, Christmas is over, I'm done with that. Uh, some of you guys are like Christmas all year people, so you wouldn't care, right? Like I just Christmas every day, and we could tell this story for the next 52 weeks, and you'd be like, man, I'm ready for Christmas, and uh, I'm not that guy. I love Christmas. I'm not quite ready for it to go, um, but I don't think I can do the whole year thing. But anyway, uh, we're not going to redo the Christmas story today. We're actually going to blow past that and, and, and talk about um, this amazing encounter that happens in Luke 2, um, just a few days after the birth of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, we're in Luke 2. Uh, at this point in time in the story, Jesus has already been born. The shepherds have already come. The angels have done their thing out in the field. And uh, we're past that. Actually, we are somewhere around 40 uh, days past that. We see in uh, verse 21, it says, When the eight days were completed um, for his circumcision, uh, he was named Jesus. So we're now eight days after the birth of Jesus. Jesus is taken to the temple, and he's circumcised, um, and he's named Jesus like the angel had said, just like it says to do in Leviticus 12. So we've got some good parents already following the law and trying to teach this um, child who is God to follow God that gets complicated but it says in 22 and when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished they brought him up to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord now this is also in Leviticus 12 and uh, somewhere in uh, Exodus um, there, after you have a child there's like a period of like 33 days um, after the eight days right that you have to uh, be purified you have to kind of wait it out. That's if it's a male child. If it's a female child, you got two weeks, not seven days or eight days, but two weeks, and then 66 days, I think is what it is, or something like that. You can look it up, Leviticus 12, if you're into some reading later on today. Um, for, for the parents to go through or the mother to go through this purification process, and then after that process is over, they take Jesus to the temple and they present um, Jesus to, to the Lord, just like it says to do, I think, in Exodus and as they're there, they have to bring a sin offering, and the sin offering is for this purification. Uh, and it says that just as is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord, 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, this is actually a poor people's offering. If you were somebody that had the means and the wealth, you would offer like a bigger animal. But if you didn't have very much money, you could, God made provision for that and you could bring in these turtle doves or these um, pigeons. So we see that about 40 days now after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus up to the temple to present a sin offering. I love that, right? We're 40 days into the birth of Jesus. They bring Jesus to present him to the Lord. And as they're coming, they're bringing the sin offering. What they don't realize is the sin offering is not the turtle doves, but the sin offering is actually the Son of God. So just 40 days in, God's already doing some amazing things kind of in the life and the story of Jesus. And they bring in this... Um, pair of turtle doves and they're going to do a sin offering and they're bringing Jesus to present him to the Lord and that's kind of where we're going to enter into the story today about 40 days after the birth of Jesus in verse 25. It says there was a man in Jerusalem, now Jerusalem's like the capital city of Israel, it's the center of like all religious activity and in, in the Jewish lifestyle, the temples there, this big um, kind of house of God that had been built and rebuilt a few times. And in that temple, there dwelt an ark, and on top of that ark was the presence of God. It was kind of an amazing thing. Um, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
Now, it says a little bit of stuff about Simeon. We don't get a lot of stuff. We don't know Simeon's job. We don't know Simeon's age. We don't know if he had a beard or didn't have a beard. We don't know if he had hair or didn't have a hair. Like, we have no idea. All we know is um, that there's a man named Simeon, and it starts to tell us about the character of Simeon. And it says, <coughs> sorry, that this man was a righteous and devout man looking forward to Israel's consolation. Simeon was a man of character. He was a man that was righteous. If you're wondering about what righteousness is, I think I have the definition back there. Uh, righteousness is coming. Maybe. We got it? There we go. Righteous is a person of uh, conduct, person or conduct, sorry, morally right or justifiable, someone who is virtuous. So he's a, he's a man who's morally right or justifiable. It says he's also a devout man. We have devout back there. Coming to a screen near you. There it is. Devout is having or showing deep religious feeling or commitment or second part, totally committed to a cause or a belief. So we see that Simeon is a man living in Jerusalem. That's pretty normal probably. There's several men probably living in Jerusalem. Maybe even some of them have the name Simeon. But Simeon was a man who was righteous and devout. Now, you would think Israel, capital city of God, right, the most religious place on the planet, filled with the most religious people on the planet. That maybe would be pretty common for everybody. And, and maybe there were people there that were righteous, morally right and good. And there certainly were people there that were devout, committed to a religious activity or an idea. But it says that he's a man that's looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Now, what is consolation of Israel? Well, consolation, definition, is comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. It's comfort. Not like consolation prize, like Sardin win, right? Uh, but it's this idea of the comfort of Israel. And what is the comfort of Israel? The comfort of Israel, this comfort it's talking about is Simeon is a man who's looking forward to God's Messiah. He's a man who takes what God says and believes on what God says to the point where God said there'd be a Savior, a Messiah, and I believe there's going to be one. Now you look at that and you think about where we are, right? We're in Jerusalem. This is the capital city of God. There's the temple here and inside of that temple is the ark. And there's all kinds of religious activity that's taking place in Jerusalem. I just want you to know the temple is, is, is burning hot every day. There are people coming to the temple every single day and they're bringing sacrifices every single day. There are people there that study the word of God, read the word of God. And on paper, they're like the most religious people there. But there's something about Simeon that stands out because he made it into the Bible, right? Like if, if this was true, like, hey, there were a bunch of men in Israel and all these men were righteous and devout and they were looking forward to the consolation of Israel. If this was true, why would we have a name like, like Simeon? Why would there be one person specifically pointed out? And I'll just say to you today, because you, you can see it through the scripture, go read um, Matthew 2, right? calls all the scribes and Pharisees together, and he says, hey, where's the Messiah going to be born? And no, nobody cares to go look. Simeon was kind of in a class of his own at this point. 
Simeon was righteous, and sure, there were probably some righteous, some moral people in Israel, and there were definitely devout people in Israel, but there weren't a whole lot of people in Israel looking for and believing that God was going to send his Messiah. Now, you may look at that, and you're like, well, how, how do people not believe that? This is the most religious people. God said it. It's clear. Like, if you ever read the Old Testament, like, there's all the way through these little trickles of information about how there's going to be a Messiah, a Savior, and he's going to be sent from God, and he's coming But at this point in time in the story, God hasn't spoken to Israel through a prophet in 400 years. There's been a period of 400 years of silence in Israel, and God's not been talking to these people who are the people of God. And you can imagine like 400 years before that, prophet shows up and he's like, hey, there's a Messiah coming. Some people are going to catch on to that, right? Okay, that's cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That sounds like an amazing idea. But like, think about you. Like some of us, we're going to hear this word today and we're going to go home and we're going to be pumped up for about 17 minutes and we're going to get in the car and we're going to click on the radio and we're going to forget everything we've ever heard in, in this building and we're never going to act on it or live it or any of that stuff. Right? We do it every week. God speaks and then he stops speaking and since he's not speaking, we're, we're done listening. Now take that and leave off the 17 minutes that it takes for us and go 400 years. Like God's not spoken to people in Israel for 400 years. We're not really thinking about what God's saying anymore. Not as a people, right? Maybe, maybe a person, but not as a people. I find it amazing that God has not spoken to these people for 400 years and the temple service probably looked exactly the same, right? Like the last time we see God working, last book of the Old Testament to now, we're still lighting up the altar, we're still bringing in animals, we're still chanting some songs if they do that right we're still reading the word we're still sitting around and talking but God's not speaking and nobody's noticing because everything continues as normal could I just say it's it's possible today and maybe maybe we should think about this for a moment it's possible today for church to exist the same way it exists every single week yet God not show up it's possible that we can make our identity this religious thing and leave God completely out of it. What's your evidence for that? Do you know that the Jewish people still practice their religion today? Not all of them, but, but as a whole, there's a lot of Jews out there that are practicing their religion. And you can go Google this later. A majority of those people are actually atheists. Isn't that crazy? A lot of Jewish people, if you ask them, will tell you, I don't really even believe there's a God. And you, you look at that and you're like, well, why do you still do those things? Why, why do you still go to synagogue? Why, why do you still read the word? It's because their identity is their religion. When God set up Israel, right, he, he identified them as his people. And all that they are that distinguished them from the rest of the world was this, this religious identity. 
And today, there, there are believing Jews who believe there's a God. I'm not saying there are not. I'm just saying that inside of that same mix, inside of that same room, sitting there singing the same songs and hearing the same word, there are people that believe in them. There is no God, but I still go through the motions. Do you not think that happens in these places as well? Maybe we don't say, I don't believe there is a God, but do we live like we believe there is a God? And that's what I'm getting at. See, we've had 400 years of silence. God's not spoke to these people, and they're still doing all the things. They're bringing the sacrifices. They're singing the songs. But there's something that stands out about Simeon, and that thing is he, he, he's a righteous man. He's moral. Maybe that looks the same as a lot of the other people, right? The Pharisees were probably at least somewhat moral on the outside. Inwardly, Jesus identifies them as, as full of dead men's bones. But, I mean, the outside looked good. Couldn't tell the difference. And there were devout people, obviously, in Israel, right? There are people who have devoted their whole life to temple service. I'm going to serve in the church. I'm going to serve in the church. But the thing that set Simeon apart, the thing that made him different, one of two things actually, is he actually believed what God said, and it affected his life. He was a man that was not only, oh yeah, God said he's going to send a Messiah, but he was a man that lived like God was going to send a Messiah. Maybe that's the determining factor of, of this thing, right? Like, we can amen this all we want to. Hey, there's a Bible, and I believe the Bible, and this is God's word, and front to back. I've never read it, but I believe all of it. How do you know you've never read it? And, and, and even at that, like, right, like, I believe it, but I can't act on it because I don't know anything it says. What if, what if that's the determining factor? Is God has said it, therefore I believe it. What, what, what is that word? What is it? Is, is that faith? See, faith is not like amen, right? Like, hey, I came to church, amen. Hey, I sang the songs, amen. Hey, hey, I listened to some guy talk and, and I agree with it. I'm never going to do any of it, but I agree with it. That's not faith. That's religion. And religion can exist without God. What, did, what, made, what made Simeon different is Simeon was a man that had faith. He's a man that heard what God said and took it as fact, and then it affected his life. Bingo. Is a light bulb on for anybody but me, right? Is there, is there like a thing that's working in us other, other than me today? Hey, here is real faith. I've heard what God says, and yes, I agree with it, but then it affects the way I live. And in a world full of religious people, and in the very capital city of God, where everybody should be doing this and looking like this and living like this, God found one man named Simeon. I wonder today if he pulled the roof off, right? Looking down. 
how many of us would make it onto a page? Hey, I looked in the church today, and there was a man or a woman who had faith. Would that be us? It's, it's like a real question today. It's some tension today, right? Like that's, that's, that's reality today because what faith is is what we see Simeon having, a man who believes what God says, takes it as fact, agrees with it, but then it affects the way he lives. And it says that Simeon was a righteous and devout man who looked forward to the consolation of Israel. I believe God sent in the Messiah and I'm going to see it. There was another distinguishing factor in, in Simeon. It says, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, maybe that doesn't sound impressive to you because, right, like we all have the Holy Spirit that know Jesus. Like Acts is pretty clear about that. When you get Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. Um, I have some tension with that too because for so many of us, when I say Holy Spirit, you have no idea what we're talking about. And if we all have the Holy Spirit that knows Jesus and you've never experienced the Holy Spirit, then you, you get where I'm going. Like it's a fact, Acts, to receive Jesus, is to receive the Holy Spirit. And we say Holy Spirit and the church is like, don't talk about that guy. It's because we're uncomfortable with it because a lot of us don't have any concept of it. And instead of examining, like, why don't we know what the Holy Spirit is? And why haven't he never experienced what he does? We're like, let's just not talk about it. But Simeon is a, is a man who says the Holy Spirit is on him. Now, again, for those of us that know Jesus, that's, like, true for all of us. We, we all have the Holy Spirit. Those of us that don't, don't. Like, that's just how it works. Sorry. But in the Old Testament, and, you know, like, really, we're pre-cross, so you could even just throw this in with the back half of the book, right? Up until Acts 2, the only pe there was like a handful of people that ever experienced the Holy Spirit. Like every person that said, oh, I have faith, but didn't, didn't have the Holy Spirit. That's why like it points it out specifically in, in certain instances. And the Holy Spirit was on them. The Holy Spirit was on them. And the Holy Spirit would come and he would rest on somebody for, for a period of time to accomplish a task. And then once that task was over, this power would like could just go away, right? So the Holy Spirit was on Simeon. That, that's, that's like this distinguishing factor about this man's life he had the holy spirit on him and here's the amazing thing it said it had been revealed to him <coughs> by the holy spirit that he would not see death before he saw the lord's messiah so the holy spirit comes down he's on simeon and he says hey i just want you to know simeon um you're not gonna die until you see the messiah you're gonna see the messiah before you die Now, some of us look at that and we're like, well, look how, look how easy it would be for Simeon to have faith that God was going to do a thing. He had the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came and he said, hey, Simeon, um, we're not Simeon was looking for the Messiah before the Holy Spirit showed up. Let's read it chronologically, right? Simeon was some dude in the woods and the Holy Spirit showed up and he said, hey, you're going to see the Messiah. And then Simeon was looking for the Messiah. That's not how it worked. 
Simeon was a morally righteous and good man who was devout, and he was looking for the, the coming Messiah. He took God at what he said, and he believed it, and then God showed up, and he's like, hey, I want you to know, before you pass away, um, you're going to see the Messiah. God made this promise to him. He shows up in the story, and he's like, hey, I, you, I know you've been looking for the Messiah, that your honest like, uh, desire in life is that you will see this promised Savior, and I just want you to know like, you're going to see him. Not like somewhere far off in the distance when you like, pass and, and go up into heaven, but like, you're going to see him before all that takes place. Now, here's the cool thing is it doesn't give a date here, right? We have no idea when this promise was made. We don't know how old Simeon is. We don't know when this promise happened. We don't know how many days, months, years existed in the gap. But what I do know is like faith is kind of forged in the gap. Like, there's all kinds of stories where God, like, just read Genesis. You don't even have to get past that book. Like, where, where God shows up years before something is ever going to happen, and he's like, hey, I just want you to know that I'm going to do this thing. You may have to wait 30 years or 40 years or 60 years or 100 years, right? Like, imagine Noah building a boat for however many years he was building a boat. But in all these instances, God said a thing, and then there was a period of time, and then God did a thing. And faith happens like in, in the gap. God makes a promise and then God fulfills way over here somewhere a promise and, and this is faith. Faith is not here. God makes a promise. And faith is definitely not here. God fulfills a promise. Faith is the in-between stuff, the connective tissue. It's, it's the stuff that's in between made and fulfilled. And that's where God forges people and changes people and molds people. So I don't know how many days or months or years were in between this, but just knowing the character of God, there, there was a period of time. He didn't show up on Tuesday and be like, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. And then Tuesday p.m., here we are. But faith is just that, isn't it? God said it, and I believe it. And someday I will see it. And it says that God promised him, you're going you're to see the Lord's Messiah before you die. It says in 27, guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex. Now, we can assume by the phrasing here that this was not like a daily activity. Simeon wasn't like, you know what, I'm going to go to the temple every single day between the time God makes this promise and God fulfills this promise because I'm trying to make God's promise happen. That, that's not what's happening here. I'm sure there were trips to the temple, and if you were a logical person and you're like, God's sending a Messiah, you would maybe think that you'd possibly run into him in the temple, right? Because that's where God does the thing. But if you do it every day because you're trying to make it happen, it's not really necessarily guided by the Spirit, is it? It's guided by my schedule right. or guided by my motives. 
but it says that he was guided by the Spirit. In other words, he wasn't necessarily going to the temple that day, but the Holy Spirit said, hey, you're going to the temple that day. I think so many of us, we, we feel like God's promised us something, and then we try to work to make that thing happen, and what we end up doing is we work to make a mess, right? Like, what if, what if David would have done that? God promised him the kingdom, and then over and over and over again, um, he, he has this opportunity to just cut down the king and take the kingdom. But what does he say? Like, no, 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 no. God promised it, and God will give it. I don't have to place my hand against somebody else to get the promise God has given me. If God's given me the promise, then God can do all the work. Because that's what faith is, right? Faith is not, I'm going to reach out and snag it out of somebody else's hand. Faith is God has said it, and I believe it, so I will wait. So we see Simeon here is doing whatever Simeon does. We don't know anything about Simeon other than his character. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, let's go to the temple. That's amazing because what we're about to see is God put him in the right spot at the right time because that's how God does things. What if he wouldn't have went to the temple that day? What if he would have come four hours later? It's just not how it works. See, if we trust God, we trust God to put us in the right place at the right time. I don't have to go reach out and take anything. God will put me where I'm supposed to be. I'm not going to miss what God has for me because that's what God has promised. It says, guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex. And it says, when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law. They didn't know they were meeting Simeon. God had all this lined up, right? We've been waiting 40 days here. Couldn't God have just showed up in the field like he did to the shepherds? Hey, go down to Bethlehem. But God's doing a thing. So he's orchestrated Mary and Joseph coming up, and they're just doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? They're going about their business, and he just says, hey, Simeon, now's the time. Go to the temple. So they go. And it says, when the, ch- uh, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, and he praised God, and he said some things. Now, imagine the scene. They walk in the temple, and here's Simeon, which we don't know anything about. He could be a priest, but he's probably not, because then he wouldn't be guided by the Spirit. He'd be going to work, right? So, um, so Simeon comes up in the temple. Jesus walks in, and he, like, snatches up the baby. I'm imagining this going down at Walmart, and he, like, does this Lion King moment, and he's, like, holding him up in his arms and he's praising God if you're Mary and Joseph you're getting used to seeing weird things but this is also like a weird thing right so he takes this baby and go try that later if you want some fun get somebody to record it because I want some fun too um this is Simeon took him up in his arms and he he began to praise God and he said now master you can dismiss your slave in peace according to your word now master now god you can take me is what he's saying you you made a promise and here we are at the end of your promise and what's he say just like you said you would here he is Can you imagine this moment? How many babies walked into the temple to be dedicated to the Lord? Like every baby in Israel, it's a command. All the boys, right? 
and to come in and be dedicated to the Lord. He'd seen babies. like there, I don't know how many people there are in Israel at this point in time, but there are probably a lot of people. He'd seen babies come in and out of this temple over and over and over again. And I would bet you money, if he knew the details of the Messiah, he still wouldn't be thinking, it's going to be a baby. It's going to be a baby. When he walks up in here, a 40-day-old baby, that's what I'm looking for. So any 40-day-old baby will do. Like, I don't think that's what he was thinking when he's like, the Savior of the world is coming. But somehow, like, there was something that happened in him when this baby walked in the room that he could identify this as Jesus, as as the Son of God, as the Savior. And he, I'm sure, at 40 days old, didn't know the details of what Christ was going to go through. I don't know how much the Holy Spirit had revealed to him, but I don't don't know that he knew, like, hey, we're going to grow up 33 and a half years and we're going to die on a cross. Like, I don't know that he knew that. He probably knew a little more than some people because the Holy Spirit was there. He probably knew there was this, um, this Savior who's coming to, to, to do a different work than set up a kingdom because in the next couple verses, he doesn't really say anything about a kingdom. But I'm sure he wasn't like, um, hey, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need your whole plan right now. He didn't need the whole plan. He just needed the promise. He didn't need the day-to-day blow-by-blow of the next, like, 33 and a half years of Jesus' life. He just needed, you said this was the Savior. So this 40-day old baby is the Savior. And I'm going to praise you for it. So he takes this baby up in his arms and he lifts him up to God and he says, hey God, I can go in peace now because I've seen him. And it just, like, I can't help but think back, like, just a couple verses. What were the angels sing? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. And 40 days in, here's this baby bringing peace between man and God, God and man. I can go in peace now. I've seen the Savior. I can leave this place. I've done everything I need to do. I've seen the Savior. I don't need 20 more years or 20 more days. I've seen the Savior. I don't need another moment on this place, God. You can take me out right now in the temple. I've seen the Savior. This is what he's saying to God. And and I wonder, right, do we have that kind of peace? And if we don't, do we have that kind of faith in the promise of God? Because what is, what is this promise of God? Because we, we all have like promises. I'm not like diminishing whatever your promise is. God's promised things in my life. He's probably told you things in your life. And that's amazing. And, and, and like I, I can take it in faith that if God said it, it's going to happen. But like this is the promise, right? And what, what is this promise? It's that Jesus has come to take away our sins so that when we leave this place, right, we can go be with God. Today we can be with God. 
We can have a relationship with God. We can experience God. But one day, I'm going to die, and I'm going to leave this place, and they're going to put me in a hole in the ground or whatever they decide to do with me. Because it won't matter. Because I'm going to go, and I'm going to be with him. And, and, like, do I have that kind of peace about it? God, because I've seen the Savior, it doesn't matter what happens from here on out. You can take me now, tomorrow, 40 years from now. It doesn't really matter to me because the world doesn't have anything else to offer. I've seen everything I need to see, and now what I want to see is just more of you. Do I have that kind of peace? See, we have promises, right, that when we leave this place, like heaven is better than this place. Right? I mean, that's a promise. We can take faith in it because God says it. This world has nothing to offer. Like, that's promise. We, we see people write things like, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm going to be here, I'm going to be him to whoever I come in contact with. But, but man, I, I just I desire kind of to leave and to be with him. I do. And then what does he say? He says, because it's, it's far better to depart from here. But, and, and do we have that kind of peace? Like, do we have that kind of peace where we know, like, if I die today, I'll be with him? And not only, like, fire insurance kind of peace, where we, like, want to live for, like, another 700 years and then go in our sleep, like, we're just too old to do anything else. But, like, the kind of peace that if God showed up in the room today and he was like, hey, you're going with me right now, would we be like, okay, that's what I've been waiting on. Or would we be like, no, God, I need, I need this much time because I need to do this thing and I need, to, I need to check this off my list and I haven't done anything yet. I don't want to go right now. Well, what's that? There's like a song, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but they don't want to go right now. Or I think it's like a country song. I, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go to not. That's the words. then do we even really want to go? Or is it just the better of two options? So just maybe that's the question today. Is like, Do we have that kind of peace? Are we, are we living in that kind of peace? We're like, no matter what happens today... My ultimate goal is not to protect my life. It's just to, to, to lean toward eternity. My goal is not to make it another day here, but to, to pour everything into the fact that I'm going there. Do we have that kind of peace? Because let me just be honest with you. Like we, We've read so many stories the past few weeks about how there's a, there's a coming Messiah. And, and, and for these people, that, that's this coming Savior, you know, like as a baby to be born, to go and to die on a cross. But we also have today a coming Messiah. I know it's like not popular, it's crazy talk. But I, I really believe the same God who stepped down into a cradle and was like born onto this planet. 
lived 33 and a half years, and at the end of that 33 and a half years, he died on a cross, he was buried, and, and he come up out of the grave fully alive, and then ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father. I, I believe that same God is one day going to step down into this place. Yeah. Like, I believe that. I believe that it says, like, there, there's going to be this moment where he, he steps out and, and he calls us up that know him. Like, I believe that and I want to go in that and I'm ready for that. Like, wouldn't that be epic today if God was like, boop a doop, and then, like, the, the roof just pulled off and, and we saw him? Like, just to fly up out of this place. Like, I was in a plane yesterday, so that was kind of amazing. Looking down on all these little lights, all these little specks. As I looked out the window, I thought, God, what do you see? Like, I'm just a little bit above the earth, but you, like, you hold the earth in your hand. Like, what do you see? And I'm going to experience what he sees one day. I'm going I'm to get to see it from his perspective. And I, like, look forward to that. I remember praying as we take, because I'm not a good flyer. I don't know about you. It's kind of weird. It's like a death missile. Just, and then you just hope that it lands on the wheels and not its face. Like, that's kind of a plane to me. And then, uh, by the way, it's dumb. You have to put a seatbelt on on a plane. Like, if you fall out of the sky, the seatbelt is not going to do much for you. But, but you, get, you get what I'm saying. But, like, I remember praying before I got on there. God, um, keep us safe, but if you don't, I'll see you soon. That's the peace. That's the peace. In reality, what do we have to do that's better than heaven? In reality, what do we have to do that's going to be better than standing with God? I don't know if heaven has porches, but on his porch with his arm around us just looking down, man, that's what I see. You wanted to see my view. Step out on the balcony. What do you have to do that's better than that? And if we believe like God's coming back, for those of us that believe that, like, does that affect what we do tomorrow? Does it? Because if it doesn't, it's not faith. God says, I'm coming back, and everybody that doesn't know me, they're, they're going to be separated from me for all eternity. If we don't live like that's true, like, is that even faith? Are we that people, is what I'm saying. That we can go through the motions whether God shows up or not. We can read the Bible, we can sing the songs, we can sit in the chairs, and it doesn't matter if God speaks because we're not going to hear it for very long anyway. Are we the people that say, God, I've seen your word, and I believe your word, and it affects my life. That's faith. Coming to church, that's not faith. Lost people come to church every week. Some of you know that intimately. It's just true. Are we the people that said, God, you've said it. You've said it, and I believe it with every fiber of my being. So not only am I going to be a Christian on Sunday, praise the Lord, but I'm going to be a little Christ on Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday and Thursday and Friday because I can't, it's not something I do, this Christianity. It's something I am. Because when you saved me, God, you, you placed your DNA in me. 
I'm a new creation. I'm something different. And I can't be unnew because it's Monday. This is not just some religious thing that we do. It's the people we are if we know Christ. So today, I know it's crazy. You're like, I don't, I don't want to hear all this. I don't want to hear all this. But like, isn't there so many checks in that story? I read the word and I agree and I never live it. Lost. I don't even know what people are talking about when they say Holy Spirit. Lost. And I don't have peace that when I leave this planet, I'm really going to see God. Lost. Let me just say to you today, you don't have to stay that way. Jesus really did come. The star breather stepped down and he became the sin bearer. So, so we wouldn't have to just be religious people. But so we could be a new creation. Jesus Christ really did step down onto this planet. And before he left, there was this promise. What did he say? I'm going away, but there's a comforter. There's a new consolation that's coming. I'm going to put my spirit in you. It's going to live in you. The Holy Spirit isn't just going to come and rest on you and leave on Monday. The Holy Spirit is moving in, taking up residence, bringing his bags. He's moving into your life. Not so you can raise your hand when the music gets good. So you can experience and know God. Man, if you don't know the Holy Spirit, you're missing out. And God's inviting you today. And I really believe Jesus Christ stepped down. And when the angels sing that song, glory to God in the highest. He's here. And there is peace now. What he was saying is we don't have to fear death if we believe in him, if we have faith that fills in the gap. He's saved me and he's coming back. And if he doesn't come back before I leave this place, I'm going to be with him. Faith is what happens in the gap and it should affect our life. And he's saying you can have peace today because Jesus came. You don't have to wonder and worry about what's going to happen on the way home today. Because heaven forbid if something happens, those of us that know him, we are going home. I don't have anything else to see and I don't have anything else to do. I just want to be with him. And if you don't have that peace today and you've never experienced that spirit today and, and, and you're not looking and reading and living his word today, God sent a savior people like us and his name is Jesus he stepped down out of heaven the star breather the one who created everything he stepped down here he was born of a virgin he, he waited in the womb nine months the one who spoke eternity into being he waited in the womb for nine months he was birthed and the one who placed the stars in the heaven had to learn fine motor skills he grew 33 and a half years and he lived a perfect life in my gap, in my place, because I couldn't do it. And at the end of that, he climbed up on a cross and he said, Brad, this is for you. Glory to God in the highest heaven. This is what it looks like for peace to step down to earth. And today we can all find that peace and that rest and that hope.
in a savior named Jesus who was buried, who laid in the ground for three days and who stepped out victorious over death and hell, who didn't need an angel to come roll a stone away. He walks through walls today. He doesn't need somebody to step in and remove a barrier for you today. He doesn't need you to clean your life up today. He walks through your walls who ascended into heaven, who went up like we're going up one day, and who right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father just waiting on Dad to say, go get my church. And I believe one day it's going to happen, and I hope I get to see it because I want to fly up out of here. I want to be part of that. But if not, man, I get a greater story because I'm going to come up out of a hole. And one day we're going to stand on the clouds together, and he's going to say, do you see what I see? That's possible for anybody and everybody because the word of God says God loved the world. That's you. So much he gave Jesus so that anybody who would believe, not just say amen, but live like it, wouldn't perish, would never die, could have peace in everlasting life in him.